This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Safety Focus. everyone and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I am your host Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today for a conversation about applying professional ethics in occupational safety and health. Uh, joining me to share his insights on that subject is Dr. Daniel Snyder. Dr. Snyder is owner and founder of the research-based consultancy Safety Mentor. His safety career includes 30 years of consulting, training, research, mentoring, and creating sustainable solutions. He is also the instructor for a new ASSP mini course, which you can find now on the ASSP store titled Ethics for the OSH Professional. Dr. Snyder, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks, Scott. I really appreciate uh, coming on with you today. Uh, excited for our conversation, a, a big topic. So uh, let's dive in. And uh, as, as we get into things, I thought it would be a good idea to, you know, to first really define ethics, you know, in the professional context that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, we we only have like forty five minutes, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it it is a it is a big topic, and I I really appreciate your first question in that. How are we really defining it in in this context? And so, uh, as I lined out in the coursework, it really is how do we take the the broader ideas of ethics and then really boil it down to applied professional practice? And so, I'll just kind of frame it with with a few definitions or kind of ideas to, to to answer your question of how are we really defining ethics here? Well, you know, first you have to really look at ideas of morality, and so a lot of people interchange the the top the the words morality and ethics, and for all practical purposes, we're we're talking about the same thing. But morality really deals in in philosophy with making choices with reason. And so the whole idea is what choices are we making and what reasons do we make those choices? And it kind of helps us decide which element is a moral problem, you know, what's really important, what are consequences, what are rights, what are good, what is virtuous, what is fair. And I'll talk maybe a little bit more about those ideas, but that's really what the idea of, of, of metaphysics or morality uh, gets into. It helps us resolve conflicts between rules and values. And I think that's where we find ourselves sometimes as safety professionals. What are the rules versus what are the values? What would be the best um, best course of action? And so some of the questions, you know, for, for morality really deal with doing. So in a doing type idea, what correct course of action should I take? And then from a being perspective, what kind of person should I be? And so those are really kind of the two fundamental questions of morality or, or virtue ethics. And then when you get into uh, uh, for morality, but ethics is really the study of morality. So that's why they're they're kind of really split and frog hair is very similar, but ethics is actually a, a study of what we do and why we do it. Why do we make these choices um, and, and all that uh, idea. So often we use those interchangeably, but professional ethics even gets a little bit further. So we got personal morals and ethics, right. and then we got professional morals and ethics. And so as we look in our professional capacity, now we're starting to look at what do we do in our professional lives? Um, it's a study of professional morality. It's, it's, we're guided by our professional codes of conduct from a 
profession or the community of our practice. And so ASSP has codes of conducts. If you're a credential holder from the BCSP, for example, or have your CIH or another credential, a professional engineer, not, not unlike uh, the medical profession, do no harm. Actually, a lot of our ethics are grounded very similarly with healthcare ethics and education ethics. So there's, there's some common trends among professional ethics on how you practice your tradecraft. And so I think we have a, a fairly well-established um, code of conduct that's enforceable by our profession. We hold ourselves accountable um, in that way. And so really what we're looking at there, the questions are, who am I as a safety and health professional? And then what do I do in my work? And so it's the same types of questions. It's just framed within the context of of the occupational realities. And so depending on the company you're with, the area of the world, perhaps, the type of products you do, the nature of the work, all those contexts come into how we have to apply our trade ethically within the, the people that we serve, the clients, the employers, the employees of the workforce. So, so that's really what ethics is. And that's how we're defining it here is it's really the study of practice. It's the study of the reason and the rationale for the decisions that we make and, and the ways that we communicate and practice our tradecraft. So I think it's always been viewed as something different um, in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people view ethics as a measure of right and wrong. And it's really not that simple. It really isn't. Um, you know, you really have to explore things and unpackage things. If it was that simple, it wouldn't be such a, a widely disputed and, and debated type topic. Um, and that's why we have ethics committees, for example, at ASSP that review frequently, you know, uh, ethical issues or concerns that are brought to the to the ASSP. And, and I know the BCSP, some of those folks on their ethics committee get things brought. And some of them are very serious. And some of them are true dilemmas. Um, and some of them require action. Um, and then others might be viewed as that's really not a an ethical situation. That's really doesn't meet the bar of 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 our you know interpretation of of the issue or the matter. So so I think that for us as professionals, it's important to to study and understand a little better about how ethics in reality works, so that we can better practice our tradecraft ethically, better enter ethics into the conversation, know when we're into a issue of ethics when it comes to our, our work, and then be prepared to, to unpack that and, and really have strategies to enter into ethical conversations, which sometimes can be um, difficult, can sometimes be uncomfortable or awkward. Um, but, but I think there's techniques, you know, that, that can help a professional wade through that. So, so in the context, that's how I'm framing ethics for our conversation and for, for the course that, that we put out. That lays a, a terrific, uh, framework. Thank you for that. Now taking kind of the, that next step, when you think about ethics in the context of the safety profession specifically, what are the most important things safety professionals need to keep in mind, you know, as, they think about, you know, professional ethics and how that plays into their work and their decision making. Sure, sure. I think I'll start with kind of where I found in, in the research for the program and just, you know, it's kind of a, you know, life learner philosopher in a way and mostly in grounded in Western, you know, philosophy. But what I find very common thread among all the different codes of conducts, various professions, and then in the general world of ethical philosophy, in a way, the study of action, um, I really have come up with really seven concepts that seem to be fairly universal. 
And so when we, we unpack those and I, we're not going to have probably time, but you know, they can sign up for the course, right. You know, and get all of it. But as a real top seven ideas uh, or concepts of ethics, you deal with things like integrity and honesty, you know, in other words, this idea to tell the truth or to have integrity and be truthful in the statements you make, there are, are comments like this within our codes of ethics of what we should do. Um, so integrity and honesty are, are a common uh, theme. Another is competency and capacity. What is your competency, your knowledge base? So for example, as a professional, you know, if I can do something, I guess then the question of capacity is, should I do it? So I may be competent to write several curriculum for ASSP for, for free, but do I have the capacity time-wise to do that? So to agree to that would re not really be an ethical thing to, to tell you that, oh, I'm going to do 10 of these with you, Scott, without really any consideration of my capacity to do it. Or vice versa, I commit to say, I'm going to do seven of these issues with you, Scott, but I'm really not that competent in it. You know, I mean, I'm really not the right professional for what you're asking me to do. So I'm in the position of kind of posing a little bit. And 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 when I find myself in that to where am I really got the skill set or the the capacity or the time to dedicate it. So when you look at committee work, for example, if I'm going to be on a committee, do I have the the right competency to to add value to that committee work or do or do I have the right time, you know, respectfully to my fellow committee members to to take on this work? Um, those are things that I think we all struggled with, time management type issues and, and competency and capacity issues. Uh, fidelity and loyalty, this idea of loyalty or fidelity to the profession, to the, the, the community of practice, the, the people we serve, the workers, the employer, um, ourselves. Are we loyal and, and, and faithful to ourselves and how we think? So those are all parts of, of common themes. Justice and fairness, you know, one of my favorites, and I think one of the ones we struggle with a lot is, you know, what's just and what's fair? And then to whom? Is it just and fair to the company to make money and profitability? And then to what trade is that? So if we're going to work people 12 hour days, seven days a week, um, on high hazard jobs with a lot of uh, stuff going on, how long can we do that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand crunch time and there's things we got to get done and production, you know, sometimes sways, but at the end of the day, can we look at that and know, and are knowingly acceptable risk that we're, 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 we're probably pushing and we got to at least consider the capacity and what's right for the worker to have that kind of you know, work put upon them. So I think that's where it's not illegal. You could work somebody into the ground. It's not illegal, but it's one of those things to where is that really where we want to be? Is that best for the company? Is it best for the worker? And I think that's where we serve as kind of this moral agent. Um, so justice and fairness are, are, I think, important. Are we applying rules equally across the organization or are we just writing up or disciplining workers where management gets a free pass? Those are examples of what I think are justice or fairness type issues that that come to play. Uh, compassion and benevolence. Can you show empathy for a supervisor and all the things on their plate? Can you understand compassion and benevolence for the decisions upper management has to make and the competing priorities and the competition pressures? Can you show compassion and benevolence of a worker having to wear PPE all day long under the sun in the hot, you know, and have, have you considered those realities and, and show that compassion uh, for the people we serve? And I think to be a good safety and health professional, you have to really have that empathy and, and compassion and this idea of, 
of benevolence. And I think in large, I find in our profession, we are, we, we share quite a bit. And I think that we are very open to, to, to that idea of compassion. Uh, it kind of comes as part of the job, you know, as part of the profession. Uh, objectivity and impartiality. In other words, not tipping the scale, you know, being objective, you're weighing all options. And this might get into a, a union management labor contract negotiation situation to where, hey, you know, yeah, I'm being paid by management, but I represent safety and I run the safety management system. So on a lot of these issues, I'm not going to side with one or the other. I'm going to side with best practices and be true to my profession. And I'm not going to let politics pull me necessarily a whole lot of uh, one direction versus another. So that idea of impartial uh, as a stoic professional with empathy, you know, a stoic empathy. I don't know if I'm pretty sure they exist. So that idea of, 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 you know, objective and, and impartiality is, is is another component. And then lastly, the, the seventh one is confidentiality and respect. And that idea of respecting and, and hold confidence and in confidential information that you know is sensitive or feel it could be sensitive. This could be that idea of, you know, you notify of a concern to a supervisor and the supervisor says, uh, well, who said that? And, you know, it's like, well, <laughs> why, why do you need to know that? You know, I'm not going to drop a name and then have you go beat them up, you know? So it's kind of, what are you going to do with that information? If I tell you who it was, what are you going to do? You know? And so it's that idea of, you know, or medical, you know, where somebody has uh, restricted duties or things that have restrictions based on injuries or, or other, uh, what really is the the tone we should have? People cite HIPAA laws and that's one thing, but then there's also, you know, how do we ensure that they aren't over exerting themselves and working within their restrictions without maybe disclosing some, some personal medical problems. So management understands the limitations. The worker knows that they're covered. You know, it's not getting out there that there's some, some health problem that, that really doesn't need to get out beyond this parameter. So I think that, uh, idea, and then also, um, you know, uh, not disclosing confidential information for the company, you know? And so where are you at with speaking or presenting or sharing with fellow professionals? Are there certain things about the company I'm working for that I can't disclose or shouldn't disclose? Um, not only internally or externally, either one. So those kind of get into, I think, some of the bigger seven ideas of, of themes of ethics that I find across the, the board. Um, the next is ethics and law and understanding that law is an external authority and ethics is an internal authority. And basically where the law stops is where ethics takes over in a lot of ways. Um, you know, just, just because it's, you know, lawful doesn't always make it ethical. And most of your laws are grounded in morals and ethics and common law and these kind of things. And so if it's a law, it's a law. You really don't need to get into an ethical debate about it. It's pretty much there. And, and, and you know, we have standards and laws of minimum compliance requirements. And it's our duty to, to, to comply with those laws. That's part of our profession. Our duty is to guide an employer or a corporation to, to follow those laws to the best of our ability. Um, and so, but when there's things such as there are better technologies not to expose a worker to trimethyl death, eat your face off, but there's no law that says we have to implement that. It's a chronic illness. We're banking on them leaving before they get chronically ill. Um, there is technology to, to avoid it. And we're choosing not to do that. And let's just suggest that we can afford it. And we're, we can afford it. We're just choosing not to do it. 
Well, now that's nothing illegal about that, but now you got to look at really the, the due care and, and if we can, should we, and, you know, not to say we do safety to where it breaks the company to where they can't produce, that's not good for anybody either. But if we look at not just the law, but look at best practices, that's where sometimes I think an ethical conversation or debate might help push that along. Understanding there's return on investment, there's money, it doesn't grow on trees, we've got to budget things and all that. And and do we really know this is going to do the, the outcome or the good we want? But also, what is, what's the bad side of it? I think a lot of times we, we implement safety suggestions or initiatives without really thinking through a solid change management plan in the way of thinking of what could be the, the downside of this. And so you kind of look at the, the flip side of an ethical coin. If this goes well, it's going to be great and it's going to look like this. Well, what would not good look like and how could that happen and who might be affected by that decision and so really being thoughtful i think about how we who can be affected by it and that way we kind of reconcile this this law minimum requirements we do but then understand that part of our practice as a moral agent in safety and health and uh, is to explore these ideas of how can we improve safety and health not just because of compliance or legal reasons, but how can we insert ideas of, of fairness, you know, loyalty, these kind of ideas of respect and, and uh, best practice into the, into the workplace. So professional ethic covers more than just the law. You know, you, again, it's more about the duty to obey the law, but the ethic that's already there, but, but the ethics beyond that, um, of shipping a company or a chemical to another company country to do because they don't have regulations on it, but you're still exposing humans to the same thing. So that gets into corporate big, you know, situational ethics that you try to navigate at a high level. Um, and then again, I mentioned it before, but the, the safety professional as a moral agent, I think if we look at ourselves in that way, that we have the, the, the moral duty or obligation to, explore is it fair to the company or the workers and sometimes you know the workers may want things that are just not fair to the company and and at the same time you know unreasonable and then other things to where it's just not fair to the worker and the company's being unreasonable and i think that idea of reason which i mentioned on the top of what is ethics and morals is 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 making decisions with reason i think that's where we as safety professionals can exert some influence and leverage collectively following upon our professional ethics. So it's not just the world according to Dr. Snyder, you know, it's the world according to our profession. And we can, we can leverage that as we try to enter into these ethical conversations around ideas that are beyond the law. So that's where I think we, we are the guarantor of a company by, by position and, and profession of a safe and healthful workplace. Um, you know, now with that said, we should not take the world upon our shoulders. We have to develop a team for that. And and I will caution burnout on professionals. And that gets into, I mentioned earlier is know thyself and, and be fair to yourself. And so it's not fair to yourself to, to really put the burden of the world and feel the single point of failure of you're responsible for every injury or you're re personally responsible for that. It's the company. And, the, and, and you just, as long as you act within your professional capacity and keep continuing to learn and improve, you have to be able to sleep at night and you have to spend time with your family and you have to have a, you have to have a, a, a personal life. 
And uh, that when that becomes unbalanced, then then you suffer. So so I, I think that I caution a lot of burnout with safety professionals to step back and say, you know what, I'm feeling this pressure. I'm putting it on myself or people are putting it on me and I and I can choose whether to accept it or or feel this way. And, and I think that if you're doing the best you can uh, with what you know and reaching out to learn more and be better, um, you need to really be able to, you know, look at unfortunate mishaps and things like that as a corporate structure issue, the individual, the management system, you, you know, you, you can't in the fog of war of operations and productions, you can't beat yourself up a lot. Uh, when, when we've had some mishaps, they're going to happen. So it's a shared burden. And I think that's part of us as a moral agent is to under, make sure management understands that the ethics of safety and health is a shared burden between all involved um, and so if we have a mishap, we all share in that. And if we have successes, we all share in that. Our professional role is just to keep the management system in the rails, you know, in the guardrails uh, is kind of kind of how we need to roll. So, you know, and then my last point to your question is, you know, what do we need to remember, you know, other than us as a moral agent, those ethical concepts I mentioned, those seven ethical concepts, is, is to try to practice ethical conversations, you know, and they're just really kind of semi-structured discussions. In other words, if you know of a potential struggle or conflict or, or, or dilemma, you know, think that through, how's that going to look, prepare kind of a script, and then find a way to segue into that conversation in a way that is, is going to minimize any kind of escalation or de-escalate the situation and try to come to a consensus or common ground and agree. So when we all agree, for example, on a metaphysics point of we want everybody to go home safe with all their fingers and toes and nobody gets hurt, well, it seems like that's pretty consensus. Everybody agrees to that. So fundamentally, everybody's on board. So now we kind of work from there. <laughs> and how does this funnel down to, you know, the specific issue? If we all agree here, okay, now let's move to uh, applying this, you know, a little bit further and a little bit deeper. I love your point about, you know, safety is everyone's responsibility, you know, for, from the top down, it's, you know, it's on all of us, you know, to help make sure everybody goes, goes home at the end of the day. I think that's something that's so important for everybody to remember. And uh, you, you mentioned a few, uh few examples there, but I wonder if we could kind of talk through, you know, some common ethical dilemmas that safety professionals might face. You talk, you've, you've talked about some, but in your experience and your conversations with other safety professionals, you know, what are, what are some of those, you know, gray areas that, that safety professionals might find them, find themselves in, might get, get into? Well, first of all, I think you hit the right term with gray in that, you know, it's not a, a black and white world all the time when it comes to, and and I think some people struggle, especially in a compliance driven, rule driven type system um, where, where it's, you know, not as clean and black and white, you know, yeah, we have rules and the regulations and for the most part, they are pretty black and white. They're written in the text, they're codified. Um, but I think the, and those are, you know, and technical challenges, you know, to where, um, you know, what's the, you know, machine guarding, a technical challenge, pretty easy to solve, you know, find vendors, get quotes, um, you know, all that kind of stuff is there. Um, but when we get into adaptive challenges, when we're dealing with people, I think that's where we find ourselves in the context of work with a lot of competing pressures, a lot of options and decisions, and and the outcome may not be clear. And so you're you're operating on imperfect information and knowledge, um, and you're trying to apply a certain level of wisdom to that. 
And I think the common ethical dilemma is what I'm finding from research. And there's very little research on this in our profession, by the way. I think it kind of begs for us to to start asking these questions. But there's a few early 2000, 2001 out of Britain. And I think there's another one out of Australia that that has looked at professional ethics and did some surveys. And so our 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 real quantitative data on this is really slim. But I will back their findings with my experience as far as my personal practice and then also what I find in talking in professional circles. Um, and so and then also the, what, what I'll refer to as the reasonable peer doctrine, which I think is critically important for us as professionals to where if I'm faced with an ethical dilemma, maybe I need to talk with somebody in a coaching type moment that is impartial, totally impartial, removed, has no attachment, no emotional, no money in the game, no skin in the game, but yet they are a caring professional that you trust that is going to be sympathetic or empathetic to your plight because they have the professional knowledge. And then as you describe your dilemma, they can put themselves in those shoes and say, wow, yeah, I can really see uh, where you're at um, from an outside third party. Here's kind of my ideas since you asked. So the common dilemmas that we find in the research and I think in practice is one, and this is becoming more and more of a problem, I think, but this was even a problem in the early days, but plagiarism. And I think there's nefarious plagiarism, purposeful, um, you know, harmful. And I think that there's just uh, innocuous plagiarism to where you're, you're trying to share best practices and you're sharing other people's work and it may be misinterpreted that it's your work. And, and that's what plagiarism really is, is, is presenting someone else's work as your own, whether you're doing it intentionally, unintentionally, or, you know, all that really gets into, well, that gets into deeper two forms of ethics. Do you want to talk about consequentialism or utilitarianism or Kantism? Uh, and so the, the short of that is, is, is the means, the ends justify the means. In other words, it doesn't really matter what, why somebody did something. It's the outcome. It's the effect. It's the consequence. And it, that's consequence ethics. I don't know, you know, both are fair, but I think the other idea is why did somebody do what they do? And what were the process of making those decisions as a human and understand that we're flawable and we're working on imperfect information. And sometimes we just don't always do the right things. And so to think that somebody is all that and never making a bad decision ethically is a failure because we make these failures and bad decisions as humans every day. So of course we're going to do it in our professional work. And I think it's just a matter of reflection and learning from them. And then also understanding where do I draw my own lines? You know, where are my boundaries? Uh, on this. And so back to your question, you know, the top things that we find plagiarism is one uh, most common. The other is confidentiality of data, releasing data that you shouldn't release um, and, and uh, basically ratting things out or whatever it might be. Uh, faked data or falsification of data. That's probably going to be your biggest uh, legal problem, maybe yeah, would be falsification of, of data, especially if that data is being submitted to the government, then, then you're really going to be in trouble. Um, and so us making sure that that's true. I think actually, as I think about that, one of the biggest challenges we have right now, I think in, in our world is with bidding, especially in construction, because construction companies have to have a certain injury rate or be below a mod, you know, if you're above an EMR one, you can't bid. And it's really driving real pressure on companies and safety professionals to 
rethink or be creative. I'm not going to go as far to say fake the data, but it's putting us in a, in a real untenable situation. I know of some cases where we where professionals had to write and come up with policy and procedure that does not apply to their company. It is not what they do, but they were required to have it for a bid. And so now they're in a position of creating something that they don't do, which is falsification. And then now on the backside, OSHA can hold them accountable because they're not doing what they said they were going to do, even if it's not a regulation. So there are actually systemic external forces that really put challenges in front of us on, on how we operate and how we operate in a, in a level playing field. But as a general rule, you know, falsification of data or misleading or, or not putting things in report, you know, uh, tampering with evidence, those all get into that idea. Uh, criticizing colleagues for gain, putting down another professional for you to look better. Um, you know, you'll see that in some of the speaking arenas, you'll see it in, you know, in management rooms, you know, boardrooms between a consultant and an in-house safety professional to where it's kind of going back and forth about who's, who's to blame. Um, so I think that criticizing, criticizing constructively and privately, by the way, is fair game. I think that's, that's a good thing to do. I think it keeps ourselves and each other in check, uh, privately being key. Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not conviction of enough and, and enough intestinal fortitude to approach the person individually, privately, then you need to probably not say anything. That would be one way I might frame that. Uh, and if not, then you have to really be honest with yourself. Am I criticizing Scott for professional gain to make me look better? You know, I mean, did, or is it, you know, it, why am I, am I doing this with other people or why am I doing this in public? So I think that's something that we need to watch and kind of keep in check. Uh, holding back or disguising data or misrepresenting data, that kind of goes back into faking the data in my mind. Uh, destruction of data or tampering with evidence, you know, that can actually have real ramifications. Not reporting an incident deliberately. Um, you know, and, and there may be cases where some of that actually you could justify. I'm not going to say all these things are wrong. You know, I mean, I've had a very diverse professional practice in various countries and there's just, you know, some things that just um, you do the best you can with what you got and, and, and looking at it from people that aren't there, they might paint you as a villain or, or look at that as a wrong decision. But, but, but we have to always keep in mind that uh, those decisions are made in the heat of battle and uh, sometimes, and, you know, all we can do is learn from them and you can reflect. I've reflected on some of my things and said, yeah, I wish I would have done something differently there. I probably wasn't the best move. And I think that for those, and that's healthy. I think those that don't reflect on their professional practice gets into this Aristotle and Socrates idea of a, a life unexamined. If you're not examining your professional life, then what are you doing? Is it worth living? <laughs> and so, you know, when you go into deeper philosophy, those are kind of the questions you're trying to ask yourself. And so that gets into who you are, you know, what do you do and why do you do it? And what do you want to be? And how do you want to be seen? And how do you want to, and, you know, kind of back to the speaking ill of a fellow professional. Well, as you know, Aristotle said, you live your life so people won't believe it. So, you know, if, if you're living your life, living your professional world in a way that people that might disparage from that or distract from that, um, you know, a lot of people might weigh that however they want to weigh it, but you're, you're, you're true to, to how you practice and how you, how you walk. Um, working in foreign countries provides some types of, of different issues because the, the expectations or maybe the, the standards of the bars are different. And so it's sometimes difficult to know that 
there's better ways to do things, or this is probably a misaligned management philosophy. Um, and you just try to work through that to the best you can with the, the reach and the influence you have. Um, lack of legal standards and then working on a contingency basis or job insecurity to where you falsify that report or you're fired, you know, and, and so these get into some of the reasons that we find in the research. And I would suggest some of the challenges we all face in our everyday practice of, you know, how gray can we get before we're on the wrong side of black and white? And that's, that's 50 shades of gray of ethics of professional ethics. And it does require us to have some flexibility. It does require us to take into account and consider both sides of or, or however many sides of stakeholders we have in the situation and the matter and and how can we resolve it or try to find some consensus and resolution that is going to be fair applied to everybody for the most part um, and that's what we're trying to go for we don't always don't always can get there you know i think a good agreement as lawyers will say is when nobody's happy but I also like to look at the optimistic side of, can we find ways where everybody's happy? You know, all ships rise. Um, and I think that's the framework of trying to enter into ethical conversations. I think in the course, I talk about five rules of engagement of how do you really kind of frame and prepare and try to enter in, in this into your dialogue of practice. So I think entering ethics into the dialogue of practice and how you work with your people is, is a skill set that can be learned. Um, it's not something that has to be natural. You don't have to be a philosopher. You don't have to sit around and read all that all the time, but it's just really a self-reflection opportunity with some guided, you know, uh, reading or guided inquiry will, will help a professional a long ways. So the good thing about ethics is to get better at it. You just have to think about it and you have to think about it in terms deeper than just a quick black or white, right or wrong. Yes or no. Um, you know, the actually the ethical dilemmas that are black and white really aren't that interesting. They really aren't. Uh, you know, they're pretty clear. Um, you know, there's nothing really interesting about them. I mean, any rational person would look at those and probably weigh and all agree in a certain way that it's wrong to kill somebody, you know, okay. But what if they're after you and your family? Well, no, now we start, you know, well, what if it's your family versus somebody you don't know, you know, and you start really unpacking decision-making and consequences and rational thought, it gets grayer and grayer and grayer. <laughs> so, um, but, but there can be clarity at the end. At the end, you can find some clarity, at least a pathway to where of all options, of all decisions, here's the options this one is the one that I feel most comfortable with or that I can sleep with, or I guess live with. And a lot of your ethicists will say that it's like, what, what decisions and what things can you live with? And sometimes we have to compromise uh, to that point. And if it gets to a point where you can't live with that, well, now you got to look at, am I in the right position? You know, is this really where I need to be? Is it the right company? Is it the right battle? Am I willing to die on this hill? Or, or am I, am I just, is this just too much for my capacity and for my own health and for the effect of others, I think I'm going to move on and look for, for another opportunity. So, so, but to leave an organization, you get one or two of those in a career. And then after that, you got to think we're in private business. So, you know, there's, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be dilemmas and the grass isn't always greener. And so the best is to try to learn with deal with ethical issues that you agree or disagree with, and you're not going to win every battle. Uh, but pick your battles wisely, you know, really plan that, um, that, that 
interaction and kind of what the issues are and frame them smartly, present your evidence, um, and then kind of enter into a, a negotiated dialogue about that and to where you're kind of trying to lead a horse to water a little bit to where you bring people around to a certain ethical thinking that they might not have thought about in the forefront of their mind, especially making business decisions in the moment at the speed of business. So, so anyway, I don't know if I answered uh, all that you asked, but you asked about the <laughs> you did. dilemmas. And so there yes. were about 10 of them, I think I, <laughs> I hit that were the common ones that we find. Right. And uh, that's that's a great segue in my next question. You know, when safety professionals encounter those kind of things, you know, how can they go up about, you know, applying that ethical decision making? Yeah, hopefully to like I, I like your, you know, all all ships rise example, like, to you know, to I, I mean, ideally come to, you know, a, a, a solution, a resolution that, you know, will, you know, be a best case scenario for everybody. Yeah, yeah, the 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 silver bullet, if you will, of, right. of the best for all. You know, the win-win-win-win trifecta. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we're shooting for. I think. I think you have to kind of have that in mind. Of that's what you're trying to get to, and it's not a, a weighted what's in it for me, what's in it for. The, you have to kind of figure out all that um, and know what the motivators are, and then what levers you might influence to adjust or to affect a certain situation. Um, you know, or do you need to extract yourself altogether? Maybe the problem's you. Um, and, and that gets into the lead follower, get out of the way. And sometimes getting out of the way is the right choice. Uh, so don't be afraid of that. But I think the, the idea of, you know, basically I've, I've kind of come with the research I've had on this project. There's, there's really a seven step process or model, I guess, that I find that, that really professionals can look at for ethical decision-making. And, and, and the first step in that is awareness. You have to understand that you've identified there's an ethical issue or a potential, a conflict of interest, for example, uh, you know, uh, a misinformation, you know, some, something that is triggering your concern, disparities, you know, racial tensions, you know, things that are DEI oriented of personal space and psychological safety. Those are coming into play now too, that, that we generally as a profession, we did our, our, our behavior-based safety and a little bit of psychological safety, but we're about ready to shift gears into a whole nother world of that. And this idea of fairness and, you know, everybody, uh, one, one safety at one organization and everybody's under that same umbrella of as a moral agent, how do we come into those? So first is just awareness that we do have probably, a an ethical issue here. And then to decide whether or not that is really that and, and can I affect it and should I, and is it something that we need to tackle? So that gets into the next step, which is reason. So you collected the information, you develop some solutions, you really frame the project, the problem, you know, what's the dilemma and really frame it out in your own mind so that when you get into a conversation with somebody, you kind of have this idea to, to state your bias or to be able to pose your position or your ideas pretty succinctly. Um, and, and then the next would be judgment develop alternatives for a solution and analysis. So a lot of judgment is plain devil's advocate. You know, if I'm looking at this, what's, how's this going to affect this person? And how would I feel if I were this person and empathy and benevolence? And, you know, you kind of all these things that we're, we're weighing in to where, what would be other alternatives? What else could we do? And then also the other, the, the null hypothesis, as we talk about in research, and that is what if we do nothing? 
you know, sometimes nothing is the right decision, you know? So, um, so that idea of judgment and weighing those alternatives. And then once you, you make a decision, you select the best possible alternative and justify that choice with rational thought that you feel that you can defend primarily to yourself. And then afterwards, can you defend that position amongst the context you're in? Whether Even if it's not a popular one, can you present a logical, re reasonable, rational argument for a certain uh, effect or, or a solution and I, or, or to frame a problem or a perceived problem? And then see if you can get others to agree that that is a problem or a dilemma that needs to be resolved. And then from there, those decisions can unfold. But that leads to the fifth step, which is action. You know, once we, you know, have awareness of it, we, we, we apply some reason and rationale, we weigh some judgment, we make a decision. Now we have to act on that decision. And so we develop those pragmatic procedures of implementation or initiatives or how, whatever the remedy to try to, you know, fix or, or do or improve uh, or prevent, you know, in, in our world. Um, and then you, the sixth step is outcomes. Uh, we have the consequences of those decisions and those actions. And so those are the outcomes. And then we evaluate those. And I think that's where sometimes we, we might uh, call victory too early. In other words, we, we made a decision, we implemented an action. Okay. Now we're going to walk away from it. And I think for ethics is tough to do that because there, ha there's, there's some residual, there's some sustainability uh, implications a lot of times. And so that idea of outcomes, can we evaluate the effectiveness of those decisions? And were the ethical decisions that we felt were right, how do we feel about them now? <laughs> you know, how do we Monday quarterback them now? And that's healthy. And there's nothing wrong with reflection. And there's nothing wrong with saying that you're wrong, uh, that we made the wrong decision. Um, we we didn't have all the, the information or that it was imperfect and we made the best we could. Um, or we made consciously a bad decision. We got caught with it. Uh, we decided to, to do $11 million in, in, in a safety procedure uh, shortcut and it polluted the Gulf coast. And now there we're up to about 78 billion in climbing and damages. So for $11 million gain cost 78 billion. So if you just want to look at money, you know, those are consequences of a decision. Uh, and then the last step is reflection, you know, reflection, you know, develop that preventative strategies, you know, make sure you don't reoccurrence of that dilemma. And that's where the reflection comes in. So that's kind of a seven step awareness, reason, judgment, decision, action, outcomes and reflection. And I think if we approach that basic model to to ethics, that's a good way for us to to start and to kind of frame it up a little bit. Definitely. Uh, something else you talked about in the introduction to the course that I love is the role of knowledge and wisdom in ethical decision making. I want you, you kind of talk a little bit about that and how it applies to the safety profession specifically. Yeah, it's 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 actually been a fun kind of twist. There was an article in the Aviation Journal that talked about safety knowledge and safety wisdom, and and I, I'm sorry I can't quote the author here on the air, but uh, but it's out there. I could find it for anybody that wants it, or they could search it. But but I, I just it was I was inspired by it. I can't remember it was written, you know, 2010 maybe. Um, but but I found it to be interesting how they were really trying to decipher these ideas of rote knowledge to where you know something versus how do we use it or when do we use it or should we use it? And so these, these get into the ideas of, of ethical decision-making. So 
I would frame it this way, knowledge versus wisdom. You know, knowledge is what you know, and wisdom is how you use it. Um, might like be that. a way to very quickly and simply state it. But but knowledge is just simply knowing. But here's the question I always like to pose people, and this is a very Socratic type question. That is, you know, how do you know what you know to be true? And I think that's a fundamental question of knowledge that we're always searching for. Uh, you know, I'm going to you know, an epistemologist, when it comes down to competencies and knowledge, it's what I study. That's what my educational background is in, is the study of knowledge and competencies. And so I find it fascinating as to how do we really ensure that what we know is true and true for the time. And that can change. That truth can change based on more knowledge um, and being open to to that truth changing based on on more knowledge. But But everyone has their own truth and it's based on their own knowledge and their own background and their own interpretation of the world. So knowledge in itself is sometimes fallible, um, and and it can be a false sense of security. People think they know a lot, and but yet, you know, they're not applying real world wisdom at some of what they know. So wisdom is is I would frame with knowledge is just knowing something. But how do you know what you know is true? Wisdom is mindfully applied knowledge. In other words, we are mindfully thinking through with perspective, with context, and with rational judgment, to me, that really delineates knowing something versus mm -hmm. being wise in your actions or how you use that knowledge. And sometimes the wise thing to do, again, I'll quote back to Socrates, is I know nothing. And so know thyself. And when you don't know, you don't know. And it's wise to shut up. So so anyway, those those would be the way I would frame just quickly at the close here, you know, kind of a knowledge versus wisdom idea. And I think that wisdom is by defined definition is a, is a quest for, for knowledge and learning. That's what the definition of wisdom is in, in the Greeks. And so I think as safety professionals, that idea of what do we know? How do we know what we know is true? How do we ensure we have all the facts? And then how with ethics um, and the premises of morality and ethics and, and our practice, how do we apply what we know in a wise way? And how do we bring wisdom to those decision-making that is the, the best way to move forward? Absolutely. I think that's a great thing for safety professionals and really all of us to get, to keep in mind in, you know, the, the practice, uh, the practice of what we do. Uh, uh, any, any final thoughts you'd uh, like to, to leave our listeners with? You know, I, I think the, the only final thought that I'll leave people with is is just to expand your mind a little bit about ethics and how do you really view it and how do you integrate it. And the easiest way to do that privately, where no one else will know, is in your own mind. And so, you know, you're very safe there. Your mind is a safe space for most of us. And so try to look at those codes of conduct from ethical principles from our BCSP, our credentials, our organization, ASSP, and reflect on them and then reflect on real case studies in your world and kind of weigh in on how well did you do or how well did you perceive the decision was made or how the action was from others and, and how did you come to your judgment? And so it's really an ex exploration, a reflection, self-reflection of how are you judging others and how are you judging yourself and how, and, and how do you, you find this, as Aristotle said, the golden mean of a virtuous life to where you have that balance.
Hey, that's that's a great note to end on. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Snyder, for coming on. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I know you've given uh, our listeners uh, a lot to think about and uh, uh, encourage uh, folks to uh, to check out uh, the course, which again is called uh, Ethics for the Osh Professional. So uh, thank you so much again. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Join us for Safety Focus in Orlando, Florida and online February 13th through the 17th, 2023 and online February 20th through the 24th. Learn more and register at safetyfocus.assp.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at assp.org and follow us on Twitter at assp safety. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.